You know, when I started serving here as interim, I, I, I had a phrase that I, I think became a point of encouragement for us. We had uh, Pastor Lutzer here for 37 years as senior pastor, and then he stepped into the emeritus role, continues to bless and serve the broader church, the broader body of Christ. But the phrase I, I shared at the beginning was, the moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on. Some of you are nodding, you remember that phrase, the moment we're in doesn't pause the mission we're on, because it was a reminder that the Lord Jesus has a work to be done through and in His church. And so we're joining Jesus on His mission, and what I didn't expect was that, that the whole world would be disrupted, and this phrase would be not just something at a church in the city of Chicago with the, with the transition of a beloved senior pastor of almost four decades, but instead we had to say to the world, the moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on. John chapter 20 is going to be our text today. I want to ask you to turn there. If you're using one of the Bibles in our seats, you'll be able to find it on page 907, page 907. Actually, it's 906, John chapter 20, because the reality is we all know that we are living in tumultuous and turbulent times. It's a complicated time. It's a challenging time, and there's no better time to go back to the gospel in one of the gospels to see what the Lord has for us today. So when Pastor Philip called me and asked me to come preach, I was thrilled to do it. He said he wasn't in the midst of a series, wanted me to just kind of preach what was maybe a life or a heart verse. And my favorite verse in the entire Bible is actually in this passage. It's John chapter 20, verse 21. But let's begin by reading John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. It says this, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That passage, that John chapter 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you, I shared about three and a half to four years ago here at the Moody Church. But unpacking the fuller context, I think, will help us to think a little bit about the moment we're in and the mission we're on. Because what we've seen in the last few years is that we're not living in normal times. Maybe it's a time of transition. It's certainly a cultural convulsion. It's not about a pandemic. I'm afraid it's more than that. It's about a cultural breakdown. It's about a seismic shift in our culture. We all feel it, and that's what I want us to talk about today, but not giving our opinions, but looking back 2,000 years to a tumultuous and turbulent time to see how followers of Jesus heard the words of Jesus and responded faithfully to them. Four things we'll walk through today. If you're a note taker, you can jot these down, not just listen along and listen with your heart. The first thing I want you to see is that fear is always the opposite of faith. Fear is always the opposite of faith. Over and over again we hear, fear not, as a command in the Bible. And yet we find ourselves looking at a passage where 2,000 years ago, at perhaps a strange and unusual time, the disciples were fearful. Let's take a look at John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, now you wouldn't say what day of the week is the first day of the week, it's Sunday, but it's not just any Sunday. If you have your Bible, if you're using one of the Bibles there in the seat, you can actually look and it says there's a heading above verse 19. 
It says, Jesus appears to the disciples. Now, the headings aren't there in the original text, but that might help us to know the theme. So maybe you want to go up to the beginning of John chapter 20 and look at the heading. The heading is the resurrection. So this is Sunday, but it's not any Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. So here they are on Easter Sunday, and it says, on the evening of the first day of the week, in verse 19, when the disciples were together with doors locked for fear, for fear of the Jewish leaders here. So what's going on here? Because if you look at the beginning of the chapter, it's the resurrection. In the middle of the chapter, it actually says, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, right in the heading. And then if you look right at the end in verse 18, it says, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And he said these things. So these disciples are locked behind closed doors in fear. Now, as Tim mentioned a few minutes ago, John tends to be earnest in his writing. He's a detail giver. He wants us to know the whole story. Matter of fact, he even says, there's more I wish I could tell you, but he loves to give us details, but those details matter. When something's in the inerrant and inspired Word of God, it's there for a reason. So let's look at what it says. It says, with doors locked for fear. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with locking your doors. Some people do, some people don't. But on the day of the resurrection, after Mary Magdalene has told the disciples that she has seen the Lord, on this day, on this day, the disciples are locked behind closed doors in fear. They're afraid of maybe being arrested. Now, maybe they didn't believe Jesus hadn't come back. Maybe they didn't believe Mary Magdalene who told them. So 2,000 years ago, it was a time of fear, and I want to say to you that that the circumstances are different, but fear can become pervasive in our day as well. And I think people are afraid today. Some people are afraid for their future. Some are afraid for the economy. Some are afraid over crime. Some are afraid over the pandemic. Some are afraid that some people are too afraid of the pandemic. Fear wins elections because it grabs our hearts. As we move into another season of electioning, what we'll find is, is that, that all around us we'll see ads that drive us to fear. Actually, let's take it a step more, right? We find that people who watch social media or people who engage in talk radio or people who are watching certain programs of opinion, that they are drawn to people who they think are like them, pushing back the people they should be afraid of in some way. See, but fear is the opposite of faith. The Lord doesn't call us to a life of fear. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear. And in the midst of the turbulence and the tumult, in the midst of the cultural convulsion, what God is looking for is a people who are not afraid, who are going to join Jesus on mission, who live for Christ because Christ is enough. And yes, it feels turbulence. It does. I think we're going through what some authors have talked about as a cultural convulsion. Every 60 years, it appears that America goes through a cultural convulsion. We saw it in the late 1960s. 
Some of you are old enough to remember, and it felt like the country was pulling apart, and, and boy, Chicago was in the middle of all of that, wasn't it, in 1968, right? We can remember stories of Grant Park and Mayor Daley or the, or, or the political convention or, or all the things. It just felt like the country was pulling apart in 1968, and, and, and we could look back to that time and say, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it tends to rhyme, and we're in a time that turbulence and tumult is becoming the norm, and I, I don't know that we're through it, and I think it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. So I told you before, I'm not a prophet, I'm not the son of a prophet, and I work at a nonprofit organization, so I, <laughs> I'm not predicting the future, but what I want you to hear is this is a turbulent and tumultuous time that wasn't just around the pandemic and all that's this, but the culture itself seems to be on fire. And in the midst of that, God has a people who don't walk in fear, but walk in faith. But here we don't, we don't get to all that quite yet. Right now what we get to is on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with doors locked for fear of the Jews. That's where we are. So John's a detail giver. A gospel is written by someone, John, about someone, Jesus, to someone. There's the broader Christian community. Uh, and, and it gives details that matter to the author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. John wants you to know that the disciples were afraid. And 2,000 years later, we can look and say, well, what does that mean for us? So number one, fear is always the opposite of faith. Number two, peace is always the Christian response. Peace is always the Christian response. That's what it's supposed to look like. When the world is on fire, when it's filled with tumult and turbulence, in the midst of this, Christians aren't running around afraid, right, joining into every moment of anger, but instead, they're walking with a peace that causes the world to say, what's different about them? Because they know the moment we are in does not pause the mission we're on. What we learned in the last few years is for a lot of Christians, their discipleship didn't hold they found themselves in the midst of the tumult and turbulence, tossed to and fro, and the end result was as they distanced themselves from the people of God, they distanced themselves from the Word of God. It didn't hold. Now, maybe this shouldn't surprise us because what we found increasingly in the last few years is that far too many people, rather than being discipled by the Word of God, are being discipled by their cable news choices. They're being spiritually shaped by their social media feed, and they're not having the mind of Christ, but they're ending up with the mind of talk radio. And it's not on one side or the other. The reality is, is what we need right now is a people of God deeply committed to follow Jesus on mission in the power of the Holy Spirit, committed to the Word of God, and that's going to cause us to walk in peace that passes all understanding. It changes everything. So John 20, verse 19 is before us. It says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He said four words, peace be with you. Would you say those out loud with me? Let's do it together. Peace be with you. Jesus didn't say it once, he said it twice. So let's say it twice, peace be with you. So when the world's on fire, when the tumult and turbulence is all around us, we hear the words of Jesus. They're locked behind closed doors in fear. Jesus shows up and says, peace be with you. I'm here. You don't need to be afraid. 
Now, this shouldn't surprise us just how often the people of God are called to be a peace-filled people. It says in Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Isn't that a great phrase? Because right now, you might be living in a restless neighborhood in Chicago. Right now, you might be looking at what could be a forthcoming recession. Right now, you might be looking at surging interest rates and political division and and Christians being challenged on religious liberty. You might look at all that and say, well, what's the answer? And the answer is to follow Jesus on mission and to hear that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know fully where it's going, though I think it's going to get worse before it gets better, but here's what I know. For 2,000 years, Christians have walked through harder times than we will walk through in all likelihood in the next few years, and Jesus is still faithful, the Spirit's still at work, and God's people are still use when they walk in peace that passes all understanding. He himself is our peace, Ephesians tells us, not the absence of problems, but the presence of peace. And Jesus himself in John 14, 27 says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Sisters and brothers, I'm convinced that when we walk in a peace that passes all understanding, the world looks and says, listen, the world's on fire. What's different about you? So fear is always the opposite of faith, number one on our outline. Number two, peace is always the Christian response. Number three on our outline, the cross is always our, our hope and our motivation. The cross is always our hope and our motivation. We were doing some some research, ongoing research is what we do at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center where I serve. And um, looking at the numbers of where the church is, releasing some new data about that, and where attendance has reset at a lower level for so many churches. In our area, in the broader Chicagoland, churches are maybe at 60, 65 percent of where they were before COVID. When you get in an urban context, it's, it's even lower still, it could be half in some cases. It's a significant resetting of our church experience and our engagement. And the question is, where did those people go? Because one of the things that seems to have happened is, is some people got more involved, right? They got more engaged and more involved. I bet many of you are more engaged, serving more, giving more, encouraging more, and thank God for you. And some are sort of holding on. But for others, they disconnected. Maybe they were loosely connected already, right? We know, we see that, right? We see that this church will be full on Easter. It will be full on Christmas events, but, but then people don't come. Maybe they come three, five, seven times a year otherwise, and something in the last few years has disrupted that pattern in churches all across this country and the world. So we look at the research, we look at the data, and people say to me, Ed, are you discouraged or you're encouraged? Because part of it's encouraging, right? People are serving more, people are giving more. Instead of coming as consumers of religious goods and services, more and more of you have stepped up, stood out, and stood in the gap, and you're showing and sharing the love of Jesus in the communities of Chicago. Thank God for that. And yet, most churches have less people. So they say, Ed, are you discouraged or encouraged as someone who tracks these numbers? And I'm, I mean, in a sense, I'm always perpetually encouraged because I've read the end of the book and Jesus wins. So I mean, I know the end result. 
But at the same time, I'm actually still encouraged today. And I'm going to tell you why a little bit later. Because in times like this, God may sift his people, but he's at work in the midst of the tumult and the turbulence. So for us, no matter what happens, we can trust Jesus. What a great time for us to live and remember Romans chapter 14, verse 8. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. That's your story. Let me tell you, that's Moody Church's story. Right? Moody Church has walked through the tumultuous and turbulent times of the 60s. Moody Church has gone through times of division in culture and tumult and turbulence. Moody Church has walked through the Spanish flu and it's walked through COVID. And if we'll stay focused on the good news of the gospel, the moment we're in will not pause the mission we're on. So the cross is always our hope and our motivation. So John's a detail giver. I mentioned that earlier. He loves to give details that we might otherwise miss. And if you look closely, look down in your Bible here at uh, John chapter 20, verse uh, 19. It says, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Then verse 20, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Okay. The next verse is interesting. The next sentence is interesting. It's still in the same verse. It says, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. John's giving us an extra detail. Now, a few things to note, right? So first of all, Jesus appears behind closed doors. He's been bodily resurrected, but by some miraculous means, he now appears behind closed doors. Great. We already know that the second verse of verse 20, second sentence of verse 20 would make sense. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. That seems enough to say. Because if you saw somebody die on Friday, and then you met them somewhere on Sunday, you would be glad, perhaps momentarily terrified, but then subsequently glad. Now they knew because he had talked about coming back. He talked about, he gave lots of hints and sometimes more direct direction. So here, and, and they, Mary Magdalene told them, so they were glad when they saw the Lord. But there's a sentence before that that really helps us understand why we have hope and motivation in the midst of a tumultuous and turbulent time. And that is, well, the fire prayer verse, it says this, after he said this, peace be with you, he showed them his hands and his side. Now, if you're a casual reader of the Bible or if the Christianity's new to you, you might say, why is he showing his hands and his side? But if you've read through the Gospel of John to get to this point, you would know that there was a spear thrust into his side, and there were nails pushed through his hands. So Jesus is not just there resurrected. He, the resurrection and its power is hinged upon the crucifixion and its ultimate victory. So Jesus died on the cross for our sin and in our place. So if the disciples are going to be overjoyed when they see the Lord, and John writes that, he's a detail-giving gospel writer, he wants us not to miss the fact of why they were overjoyed. Because he showed them his hands and his side. And I don't know what the future holds. I don't know the challenges that face us as Christians. I know that we're going to need reservoirs of resilience. We're going to need a commitment to the Word of God. We're going to need to stand strong on the truths of Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit. But I know we can go through whatever the Lord has for us because His hands and His side still bear the marks of that crucifixion. 
And that changes everything. So the cross is always our hope and our motivation. Number four, and finally, we always go because Jesus came to us. And this gets to the favorite, my favorite verse in the whole Bible. Reminds us the moment we're in does not pause the, the mission we're on. A little phrase that we used at the beginning of the interim to encourage us because what would, what would ha- Pastor Lutzer, I mean, surely that's such a change. And, and, and who would knew that, know that in God's, in God's plan, we'd walk through a long interim? Who would know that in God's plan, we'd, we'd actually see uh, we'd actually COVID and, and we'd actually see this sanctuary empty? And who would know that in God's goodness and his plan that he prepared a, a pastor for us to come and, and Philip and Krista would come and, and lead? And who would know in God's plan that, that we'd continue to walk through a tumultuous, tumultuous and turbulent time? Who would know God knew? He wasn't surprised. So verse 21 is here for us. Again, it's, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Sisters and brothers, I wish I could tell you that the last few years have been marked by peace in God's church. It's not. The tumult and turbulence in the culture has entered into many churches who have begun to find division where they did not see division before. Maybe we shouldn't be surprised. That's what happened in the late 60s. That's what happened in the late 1800s. We've seen tumultuous and turbulent times. So the reminder for us is to not let the moment we're in pause the mission we're on. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you, it says in verse 21. And then our sentence that points to so much more. As the Father, he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. It's aute in the Greek in the same manner, not for the same purpose, but this is why we go. We go because Jesus has sent us on mission. And the story of this church joining Jesus on mission is unparalleled. On Friday, I was supervising a doctoral dissertation, dissertation defense. It's when the PhD candidate comes in quite nervous and has to answer questions about his or her dissertation. In this case, the dissertation dealt with evangelism in Chicago in the late 1800s, and D.L. Moody all over the dissertation. I think that made him a little more nervous. So we talked through it, and in the midst of all that, people forget just how tumultuous and turbulent the late 1800s was. When this church walk through that time because it stood on the rock. And a walk through, I could list time after time because it stood on the rock. And part of the challenge though is if, if we hear stand on the rock, but we don't hear the rest of Jesus' teaching, right? He is the rock upon which we stand, but that rock upon which we stand is not simply a place to stop and stay. It's a call to go and tell. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And in this day and age, there's confusion and brokenness all around us, right? In the division in the culture, we want to be as those who are sent on mission, showing and sharing the love of Jesus. Don't run from it, run towards it. When the culture is confused about what, who, who, who men and women are, when the culture is confused about what it means to be a whole person, when the culture is confused about what it means to be a person of faith, don't run from it, run towards it. Because Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
When I was a kid, I mean, I grew up outside of New York City. Some of you have heard that story before. And my grandfather was a prominent member of the New York Fire Department. All of you would later um, join me in just your admiration for the New York Fire Department, maybe on 9-11. In fact, the house that took the most casualties was a house that my grandfather supervised as a fire battalion chief. And I come from a family of folks involved in law enforcement and so thankful my, my, my uncle was a New York City police officer, he would say New York City cop, my, my brother, federal prosecutor, love and so thankful for our first responders and the good work that they do. My, my grandfather, I'd, come, I'd go over and mow his lawn and after the lawn mowing, we would sit down and my grandfather would tell me stories. He would say, Eddie, he called me Eddie and you may not. <laughs> my brother was Billy, true story, true story. Explains a lot of our relationship, Brother Bill, doesn't it? Um, but my grandfather would tell me stories of the fire department, and, and he was already my hero because I knew some of the things he did, but he'd tell me, not drawing attention to himself, but, but often say, here's what would happen. So we were in this fire in Brooklyn, and this is where the building was, and somebody was in that window, and here's what we did. And, and, and I would remember the stories always ended something like this. When everyone else is running away, we're running towards the crisis. When it's a fire, whether it's a bomb threat, we're the people running towards the crisis. And I thought to myself, that's what Christians can and should do in the midst of our tumult and our turbulence in 2022. That's what we can and should do. As a matter of fact, that's what this church did in the most challenging times of the pandemic. The, the moment we're in didn't pause the mission we're on. I was the interim here when I wrote an article in USA Today about churches and I was thinking about us. Let me, let me read a little bit from that article. I said, stepping back for a moment, it's worth asking why the Christian church has and is now again called to live in such a sacrificial way. The answer is in part the description of Christians as citizens of heaven, Philippians 3.20, where we walk through Philippians together. That is, our hope is not in this life, but in the one to come. When everyone is good at talking, while everyone is good at talking in times of peace, moments of crisis define who we truly are and what we truly believe. They reveal us. And I think people look to Moody Church and say, they, they stood up and they stood out and they stood up, they stood in the gap in the midst of a tumultuous and turbulent time. And so the call remains for us to do that. See, the reality is it's very easy for us to sit back and kind of become keyboard warriors on social media to just kind of tweet out this and that and say, well, I don't like what they're doing and these people must be idiots if they think that. And, and then our neighbors who don't know Jesus see the never-ending stream of angry comments in our social media and, 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 and somebody might say to us, well, why, why are you doing these things? We'll say, I'm just trying to be frank. I just, I, you know, I got, I'm free to say what I want to say. I got I to punch and I got to do it with the frequency and enthusiasm. I'm just trying to be frank. And I want to say to you, if your name's not Frank, please stop. And if your name's Frank, Get that under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Express, speak up, speak out, but do so knowing that Jesus has sent us on a mission and a world is confused and broken. 1968 was a time of great division. Kind of feels a lot like the last few years. I think we're like in the 28th month of 2020 right now. 
keeps going on and on and on, the brokenness and the division all around us. In 1968, this church was actually walking through some tumultuous times as well. But in 1968, too, there was a, in Southern California, there was a pastor. And that pastor said to his daughter, I want to meet a, I want to meet a hippie. It's 1968, that was a thing. I bet a few of you were, were hippies in 1968. Not most of you. But how many would say I was kind of a hippie in 1968? Just raise your hand. I see a couple of hands. Back when you had hair, I see that. I see that. Kind of some hippies here. So this pastor says to his daughter, I want to meet a hippie, and she brings home a hippie, and this hippie's a new believer, and they start a Bible study together, and soon a thousand people are coming. The world's on fire in Southern California. Protests, riots, division, generational divide tension everywhere and a thousand people start coming to this Bible study and it was the 60s so they, they started coffee shops and communes and, and that little Bible study explodes up California, kind of comes all the way across the country, parts of it begin to see here in Chicago land, right? It impacts some in and around Moody Church for some of you as well. And so what happens in the midst of the last time we went through a tumultuous and turbulent time like this, there was a revival that came out of that. That pastor's name was, was Chuck Smith. Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, that movement was called the Jesus People Movement. And I bet some of you, like me, trace your spiritual heritage maybe to people who are impacted by the Jesus People Movement like I was. I see hands waving around, yep. See, here's the thing I don't want you to miss. If the times are tumultuous and turbulent, and if history is to be our guide, and if God chooses in His sovereignty to work as He has done in the past, then there's a pretty significant possibility that in the midst of some tumultuous and turbulent times, we might indeed see the kind of awakenings that we've seen in the 60s in the Jesus People Movement, in the late 1800s in the Welsh Revival and things that came out of that. Here's the thing. This is why when I look to this moment, I want to say, Lord, use us. Don't let us get distracted by all the things the world wants to draw us into. Let us stay focused on the mission. Let us follow Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord Jesus, bring a revival in the midst of the cultural convulsion. Isaiah chapter 6 is my favorite verse in the Old Testament. This is when Pastor Philip says, preach your favorite verses. I'm all right, here I come. Isaiah chapter 6 is kind of like the Old Testament version of, or connected to the, the New Testament expression when Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. In Isaiah 6, 8, Isaiah 6, 1, there's actually a great time of tumult, uh, tumult and turbulence. In the year King Uzziah died, we don't think about the death of a monarch as a big deal, but back then, it could change everything. They could lose everything. And so he goes through this vision, I don't have time to unpack, but then it ends in verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Five words, would you say them out loud with me? It's here I am, send me. Let's do it. Here I am, send me. You see, that's the response today that centuries ago in the time of turbulence and tumult after the death of King Uzziah, that, that that Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And, and 2,000 years ago, when they were behind closed doors, locked in fear, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. We know how they responded. They went all over the world. They said, here I am, Lord, send me. And 2,000 years later, in a time of tumult and turbulence, when many people are afraid, let's not get caught up in the ways of the world, but let's double down on the mission of Jesus. 
here I am, Lord, send me. See, the moment we're in does not pause the mission we're on. I want to invite you to pray with me. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to trust and follow him. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to pray with me in response to Jesus' words, here I am, send me. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, we come before you today as this church family has done for over a century. And Lord, the times are tumultuous and turbulent and probably going to get worse before they get better. But Lord, this is no surprise to you. You've always called your people to a different and a better way. Lord, remind us that fear is always the opposite of faith. Father, we've been caught up in anger that's been driven by fear. We've been discipled by our talk radio or cable news or social media. Lord, help us instead to walk in faith and peace. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment, I wonder, If in the midst of this time, you need to take a moment and say, Lord, give me your peace in the midst of what seems like such a difficult, confused, divided, tumultuous world. Peace, I leave with you, Jesus says. Will you receive that right now? Would you walk in peace, showing and sharing the love of Jesus? Why? Because the cross is always our hope and motivation. Just take just a moment and dwell on the beauty and the power of that cross. We live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Why? Because he purchased us with his death on the cross for our sin and in our place. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, we want to invite you to receive by grace and through faith the good news of that gospel. If you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear the words of Jesus. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Would you take a moment to think about your workplace, your home, your family, your school, your neighborhood, and just verbally, quietly but verbally, out loud, put that in your mind's eye, knowing there's no place for fear, knowing we're going to walk in peace, knowing because of the cross is our hope and motivation. You hear the words of Jesus, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. Would you say with me, here I am, send me. Just with that mind's eye, wherever the Lord has sent you on mission. This church, but individually, we're sent on mission. Let's say it together out loud. Here am I, send me. That's our prayer, Jesus. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. And for his sake we pray, amen and amen.